this morning. Um, we are really aware that we need your deep healing work in our hearts and our lives. And it's by your word and by your spirit that you do that deep healing. And so we want to say this morning, we, we, we invite you to come and speak to us through your word and do what you need to do in our hearts and in our lives to make us well, to make us whole, uh, to make us like Jesus. Um, and we pray in his name. Amen. Um, let me just uh, remind us uh, kind of what we're doing in this current series uh, that we're going through at the minute. Um, maybe just to set the scene. Um, and I, we read this uh, maybe a number of weeks ago, but um, at the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, before Jesus returned to the Father, um, he gave this very famous commission. Uh, and he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, and some, we, we mentioned a few weeks ago, sometimes we stop there uh, with the making of disciples and maybe the baptizing. Um, but sometimes we forget the last bit, which says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Um, so this is part of the the, the commission that Jesus gave us before uh, he left this earth, uh, that we're to not only make disciples and not only baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So that's in this series what we're wanting to take seriously. We're wanting to obey that final instruction that Jesus gave us. We're wanting to listen to the words of Jesus really carefully, pay attention to his teaching and his commands um, and remembering that although his teaching is challenging and sometimes uncomfortable, and I'm sure you found that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, his promise to us is that as we learn from him his way, we will find rest for our souls. That's the promise. His teaching can be challenging, it can be uncomfortable, but in the end it brings rest for our souls. It's the way we were designed to live. Um, so his teaching will do us good. Um, as we take it into our hearts and make it part of our lives. So that, that's kind of a reminder of why we're doing this. Um, but I want to uh, read on a little bit with you um, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going we're gonna to read in Matthew 6. And we're picking up just after the Lord's Prayer. Uh, when Jesus gives a little commentary on, there was a line in the Lord's Prayer that said, forgive us our, our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I guess this is kind of a little commentary that he makes on that line in the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to move on to the next little section. So Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 14, this is what Jesus says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Then he says this, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
So we're actually, we're going to focus mainly on fasting this morning. We're going to think about fasting. Uh, but before we do that, I didn't want to skip past this little section um, about forgiveness that, that, like I say, is kind of tucked away in after the Lord's Prayer, and we can sometimes miss it. Um, and this teaching that Jesus gives about forgiveness here is challenging. Um, but I, I've also found that uh, there are verses that people can sometimes find a little bit confusing or worrying. Uh, and maybe the, the worry for some people might be expressed like this. Um, if I don't manage to forgive other people in my life perfectly, or if I don't do well enough at forgiving other people, am I then in danger of not being forgiven by God? And for some people, this can cause a lot of anxiety. So I want to think about it just for a little minute before we, we move on. Um, I think part of the reason that anxiety arises is forgiving other people is really difficult. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, that forgiving other people is difficult, especially if the things that they've done to us are really deep and significant. Um, maybe we can forgive the small wrongs and niggles of everyday life, though even that can be challenging, uh, forgiving those things. But if someone has really hurt us, really wounded us, really wronged us in some significant, grievous kind of way. Um, forgiveness can be really difficult. And forgiveness often, I think, in real life tends to be a messy process. Um, I don't know if you find this, that we, we may think that we have forgiven someone and we may go through a process of wrestling and kind of talking to God about it and trying to hand over the anger and hand over the bitterness and hand over our desire for vengeance to God. Um, and then, and, you, and we think we've done it, we think we've forgiven, and then a week later or a year later or down the line, all the feelings come back again. Have you ever found that that can happen? Um, and we have to go through the process again. We have to bring those things to God again. I think that's the reality of what forgiveness often looks like. There's a process and it's messy and it takes some time. And so you can see then how the trouble arises in our mind if my forgiving of other people is always a bit messy and a bit imperfect, then how do I know when I've done it well enough? When Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. And you can see how we can live with anxiety around this. Um, so I want to say something really clearly that I think is really important. Um, that God's forgiveness of you does not depend on your performance. Right? I think that's something that's really basic to the heart of the gospel. We are, we are saved by grace through faith, right? As it says in Ephesians, or as it says in, in the book of Titus, God saves us not because of righteous deeds that we have done, but because of his mercy. Um, so God's forgiveness, uh, you and I know, is given freely as a gift because of Jesus, because of the cross. It doesn't depend on your performance at anything, whether that's your performance at praying or going to church or being generous or, um, or your performance at forgiving. We're not to turn forgiving into a performance. God doesn't weigh up your attempts at forgiving and give you a mark or a grade to see have you passed the forgiving exam and decide if you've passed or not. That would be a form of works righteousness by which we'd be trying to earn God's forgiveness. Um, maybe we can say it this way. What matters is not your perfect performance in forgiving, but what really does matter is your willingness 
to enter into that messy process of forgiveness. What matters is that your heart remains open and not closed. And that really, really matters. What matters is your commitment to a lifestyle of forgiveness, which is absolutely basic for a disciple of Jesus. Um, Tom, Tom Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, um, uses an illustration which I find really helpful. It's just an illustration, so if you don't find it helpful, uh, you can throw it away, but I find this uh, really helps. Uh, Tom Wright says, think of grace and forgiveness as being like a piano. And God uses this piano to play the melody of forgiveness for us. And we hear the melody of amazing grace and we receive it gratefully in our lives. But that same piano is also the piano where we play the melody of grace for others. And we, we won't ever play it perfectly. I don't know if any of you have learned piano. Or I've been trying to learn it a wee bit recently and I feel very clumsy and very awkward. Um, our attempts at grace and forgiveness will always be a little bit clumsy and awkward. But what matters is that we are willing to play. And God will teach us to play it better and to play like him. And that's a life, lifelong learning for all of us. He is a patient teacher and he will teach us how to, how to play like him. But what we're not at liberty to do is to close the piano and refuse to play. To close our hearts and say, I will not forgive. That's simply not an option for a follower of Jesus. Because when you close the piano, you're, we, are, we are actually rejecting God's grace in our lives. The way the Christian life works is that we receive amazing grace and we pass it on. That's how it works. There's no other way for the Christian life to work. And so I think we need to hear the strength of the warning of Jesus. If we are refusing to forgive, if we are closing the piano, then we need to hear the words of Jesus uh, as strongly as he, he says this and not water it down. Um, but I wonder, can you see that the strength of Jesus' words here are not for the person who is trying to forgive and seeking to forgive and wrestling with forgiveness, but finding it hard. If that's where you are this morning, he will give you more grace to help you in that process. And he doesn't want you to live with anxiety uh, about his grace and forgiveness in your life. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. If there's anything about that passage and those verses that is troubling you particularly, and you want to talk about it some more, um, come and talk to me this week or find someone else uh, you trust uh, to talk that through with. Um, don't let it trouble you. Uh, but I want to move on. I want to, I want to speak mainly this morning about this theme of fasting. Um, Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber. Um, this is the, the third theme in this little middle section of the Sermon on the Mount about not performing our righteousness for others to see. And Jesus has already spoken about giving to the needy, and he's already spoken about prayer, and now he speaks about fasting. And again, as with the other two challenges, the basic challenge, I think, is quite simple and direct. Um, don't make a big show of your fasting. If you're fasting, don't go about with a big long face um, saying to people, oh, I'm starving, um, and hoping that they'll ask you why you're starving or ask you why you don't eat something so you can say, oh, because I'm fasting. Um, Jesus, again, um, very directly says, if, 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 the, if what we're seeking is to impress others, 
then that's all the reward we're going to get. You already have your reward if that's all you're aiming for. Uh, fasting, like giving, like prayer, is something we should do quietly without fanfare. Um, I love how practical Jesus is. He says, put oil on your head and wash your face. <laughs> um, put, your, put your hair gel on, wash your face. Um, nobody, nobody should be able to notice by looking at you anything different. Just get on with your day, get on with your life. This is between you and your Father in heaven. Fasting is something that is about your prayer life with God, um, your hidden life with God. So I think that's all quite clear um, and relatively simple. Um, but perhaps the challenge for us in this passage um, is even more basic than that. Um, maybe the, the challenge for us lies in those simple words. When Jesus says, he says it twice in this passage, when you fast, when you fast, um, Jesus assumes that his disciples will fast, that this will be a part of their normal spiritual habits. Um, and so maybe it's good for us to ask, is this an ordinary, normal part of our habits as Christians? Um, I was thinking about this middle bit of the Sermon on the Mount and thinking, I, th I think it's probably true to say we can't imagine a Christian life without giving to the needy, right? We all know that's kind of basic um, to the Christian life. We can't imagine a Christian life without prayer, but maybe we, a lot of us, can imagine a Christian life without fasting. We see that as kind of disposable. Um, maybe one question some of us might have is, well, maybe this was just for the disciples back then. Uh, maybe this was kind of an Old Testament thing, and then it was for the disciples when Jesus was still with them. But now that Jesus has died and risen again and given us the gift of the Spirit, maybe we don't need fasting anymore. And that's a good question. Um, but if you take a little look, and you can look later on at the book of Acts, after the Spirit has been given, what do you find in the book of Acts? You find these little references dropped in. You find in Acts 13, the church at Antioch was worshipping and fasting. Or in Acts chapter 14, um, you find a reference to elders being appointed in the churches with prayer and fasting. Um, Paul himself, after he met the risen Jesus in Acts 9, fasts for three days. That's his response to meeting the risen Jesus. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 talks about married couples praying and fasting for a while together. Um, and so I, th I think it's good to say, actually, this is not a major theme in the New Testament. You don't get lots and lots of teaching about fasting. But what you get is these little references dropped in that simply assume that this is something that we will do when you fast, um, as the church was fasting. It's just dropped in as an assumption. And so maybe if it's not something that we ever do in our lives, it might be worth pausing to ask why. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people fast in a wide variety of circumstances, um, especially at critical or key moments in their lives. And I'm going to come back to that um, at the end. Especially at key or critical moments in their lives. If I was to mention just a few examples, Moses, when he was receiving the Ten Commandments at Sinai, fasts. Um, Hannah, when she was longing for a child and struggling with infertility, fasts and prays. David, 
after the death of Jonathan, his friend, and Saul, his enemy, prays and fasts and calls, calls others to do the same. Um, Esther, uh, whenever she realized that her people were in danger, um, prays and fasts. Ezra, when he was leading the people home from Babylon to their homeland, um, calls a national fast um, for the people. Um, Jehoshaphat, as well as being one of the best names in the Bible, um, whenever the nation was being threatened by enemies, called the people and called the nation to pray and fast. At key moments, at critical moments, um, the people of God fast. Um, as I said, um, we don't get a lot of, what we don't get a lot of in the Bible is, is kind of teaching about fasting, um, explanation about what it means. Um, and so I'm not going to give you loads of um, theory or um, kind of explication about that. Um, but I want to say just a couple of really simple things. Um, fasting, I think, is a way of involving our bodies in prayer. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed in the Bible when people pray, it often tells us what they were doing with their bodies. People often in the Bible kneel to pray or sometimes prostrate themselves on the ground or sometimes lift up their hands in prayer and sometimes they fast. Um, and I think it's a good reminder that we are embodied creatures. Your, your body is not just a handy way of carrying your soul around. We were, we were made by God as embodied creatures and fasting is a way for the whole person to be involved in prayer, not just your mind, not just your soul, but your body as well is involved in prayer. Um, that's one very simple thing. Um, but what is fasting at its heart? Um, maybe I can make a negative comment on a positive one. Um, on the negative side, fasting is not a way of manipulating God or getting his attention. Um, that's really important to say. It's not a technique to make our prayers more effective. Um, that's kind of superstitious thinking or magical thinking. Um, I think at its very heart, fasting is a way of expressing our hunger for God. It's a way of expressing and paying attention to our deepest hunger, which is our hunger for God. And so if you are fasting and your, your stomach growls and you feel that emptiness, it reminds you, well, it reminds you to pray, and that's a good thing in itself, but it also reminds you to pay attention to your deeper hunger. It reminds us of what we are truly hungry for. Um, so Jesus said in John chapter 6, um, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Right? What is our deepest hunger? It's for connection with Jesus himself and with the Father and with the Spirit. That is what we are hungry for. Um, your, your stomach might be growling when you're fasting, but I wonder if you ever paid attention to the fact that your soul is growling, that there's a, a deeper rumbling in your spirit. Um, our deepest hunger is for God himself. And along with our primary hunger for God, I think there are others that are closely related. We, we hunger for God's righteousness. and We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger for God's word. Remember that verse that says, we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, we hunger for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we hunger for God's will 
to be done in our lives and in our world. Um, One of my favourite little verses uh, where Jesus says to the disciples who are confused, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That is Jesus' bread and butter. (laughs) That is his food, is to do the will of the one who sent him. So our basic hunger is for God and then along with that, for his righteousness, for his word, for his kingdom, for his will and all these things. Um, And so here is a really simple question I want to ask you this morning. Um, I want to ask you, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? Um, It's good to be aware in general what we are made to be hungry for is God, but that has specific expression as well. Where are you hungry for God to move in your life? Um, Where where are you hungry to see God at work? Um, If you're anything like me, um, we're often not very good at connecting with our deeper hunger. Um, We kind of go through our lives and we live on the surface and we we get hungry for food and we eat something and we get tired and we sleep and we get bored and we reach for the remote control and we just live on the level of our surface hungers. Um, But I want to encourage you to sit with this question uh, this week. I want to encourage you to take this question into your week. Um, And maybe, um, I'm not giving this as a a big heavy thing, but maybe you'll choose to fast this week as a way of paying attention to your deeper hunger and listen beneath the rumbling of your tummy for that deeper rumbling in your soul. What are you hungry for right now at this moment in your life? Um, We said earlier, in the Bible, people fast at critical and key moments. And one writer says, in the Bible, people fast at grievous, sacred moments. A, I think that's a beautiful phrase, at grievous, sacred moments. So when they're disturbed by things that are happening in their lives and the world, they fast. When, when they're coming to a key moment of decision, they fast. When they feel like there's a battle going on and the stakes are really high, they fast. When they're very aware of enemies surrounding them, they fast. When they're very aware of their own sin and weakness, they fast. When they're longing for spiritual renewal, they fast. Um, I wonder, does any of that ring a bell with you? I wonder, does any of that sound to you like it might be the time we're living in right now? Um, It feels to me like this is a critical moment in our world. Um, It's a moment of many threats and dangers, but also of many opportunities and possibilities. Um, And I think it's a good time to pause and reflect, and maybe a good time to fast and pray, and ask, what are you hungry for? What are we hungry for? What are you longing to see God do? Um, Maybe you could reflect on this question in a few different areas of your life, in your walk with God? What are you hungry for in your your family life right now, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids? What are you hungry for? Where do you want to see God move? In your friendships, where are you hungry for God? In your work life, in our, what about in our church life? What are you hungry for God to do here among us in MCF? Or what about in our wider community in Mount Sandal, in the neighbourhood where you live, um, in our wider uh, 
in, in Northern Ireland, in our island, um, what are you hungry for? Maybe you could think through those different areas of your life. Um, maybe you could ask questions like this. Um, where are you stuck in a rut at the minute? Where are you stuck and need to be shaken and wakened out of that? Where do you need to be revived and restored? Where is there brokenness that needs to be healed? Um, where do you need to be set free? Where is there sin that needs to be repented of? What is there that grieves you and troubles you? Where do you sense that God wants to do something more? Where do you have that sense in your life that God wants to do something more? What is your soul aching and longing for? What are, what are you hungry for? And I really want to encourage you this week, find a little bit of time, find a little bit of space and reflect on that question. Um, I think it's really important to say, uh, maybe some of us are thinking there's all these things that are wrong with our lives and our world. Fasting's not going to fix anything. Just sitting around, not eating. Um, it's really important to say fasting is not something we do instead of action. Um, fasting, I think, leads to prayer and it also leads to action. But our action will be more purposeful and more fruitful. Um, I think our great example here is Jesus himself. Do you remember when Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness? And then what? <laughs> what came next? It says, then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and began to preach and heal and cast out demons. And there's this clarity and power to his mission. But where does it come from? It comes from the place of fasting and prayer. You see how it leads um, into action that is really fruitful. Um, and so um, here is a really small suggestion um, that I want to offer you again. I'm not handing this down as a command to anybody. Um, Pentecost Sunday is on the 23rd of May, which is four weeks away today. Um, Pentecost Sunday is the day when the church around the world gives thanks for the gift of the Spirit. What if you set aside one day each week from now until then and gave up one meal? Now, let me do a little terms and conditions apply. If you have health issues going on, if you're pregnant, uh, if you operate heavy machinery, um, think carefully, ask for advice, ask a doctor, right? Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm making a modest suggestion that it would be appropriate for most of us. What if you gave up one meal and you focused your prayers for that part of each week on these deep hungers, hungers for where you long to see God move in your life, in your family, in your church, in your world? Um, Jesus uh, tells us not to show off our fasting. We've, we've talked about that. Um, I don't think that means you can never tell anyone. I think that wouldn't make any sense because in Acts, the church often fasts together. Uh, Paul speaks of husbands and wives fasting together. Um, and so you may want to invite someone else to fast and pray with you. Uh, it might be your spouse. It might be a friend. It might be your small group. Um, don't show off your fasting. Uh, but you may want to have someone else and you can tell them about the things that you hunger for and ask them, what, what is it that you're hungry for right now in your life? And we can pray for each other uh, in these things. Um, here's where I want to finish. Um, the Hebrew word for fasting 
um, is closely related to another word that means to humble oneself. Um, whether you decide to fast over the coming weeks or not, um, this is the heart of what we want to say. And I want to finish with a very famous verse from Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7. Um, many of you will know it well, but I think it's a really powerful verse for the moment we're living through in our world right now. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Um, I wonder has there ever been a time when that was more needed, certainly in our generation. Um, when, I, when, when we talk about healing the land, um, I don't know about you, I'm not just thinking about coronavirus. Certainly we need prayer for healing there, but I'm thinking about the deeper sicknesses of our hearts and our lives and our relationships and our families and our society. Um, we, we need God's healing. Um, we're going to sing in a moment um, the words, do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? I know I do. Um, and if we do, then this is a time for God's people to humble ourselves, whether you fast or not, to humble ourselves, to come with hungry hearts, to grieve for whatever is wrong and broken in our lives and our world, to groan with creation and with the Holy Spirit. And to pray as we get ready for Pentecost, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit. Um, he is the one who can heal our hearts. He is the one who can heal our land. He is the one who can forgive our sins. Um, and so I want to encourage you to pray with me. And um, we're going to sing a song um, of response. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we want to say that we are, we are sorry for all the ways in which um, we run around in our lives after many other things, trying to satisfy our hungers, when what we need is you. And we want to thank you for Jesus, who is the bread of life. Um, and Father, we want to say this morning we have... We have run around and we have looked for satisfaction in all kinds of other things, but we turn unfilled to you again. We want to say our souls are aching and longing for you. Um, Father, I want to pray as a church you would help us in the days and weeks ahead to pay attention to that deep hunger that we have for you. I want to pray that you would stir up that hunger in us I want to pray that we would be a people who grieve everything that is broken and wrong and out of shape in our lives and our hearts and in our world. I want to be people, pray that we would be people who would humble ourselves before you. And we want to, pray, we want to cry out together, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, 
Come and heal our hearts. Come and forgive our sins. Come and heal our land. Um, Father, show us how to be this kind of people in the days ahead. Um, We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.